Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. I'm Mark Pugh, pastor of Outreach and Operations here at the Vine, and uh, it's great to be here. It's great for everybody that's online. Appreciate you guys coming in and, and visiting with us today. Um, you know, we're in a, a sermon series in the book of Acts. We've been in that sermon series for several weeks now. The, the name of the, the sermon series is The Power of the Church in the Face of Persecution. So today, if you guys want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. You know, as we continue to look at how the early church was persecuted, I think today that we're, we're going to see that this, this persecution and this suffering that Christians, as they go through those things, both the early church and today, that we must rely on God's power to carry out his plan. You know, this is so important as we think about some of the, the horrible stories that have come out. We, last week, we had a hard story that was shared by Vuanu. And, and, the, and the people in Nigeria who are being martyred to death. And that makes me think about like Corey Ten Boone's story. It was impactful to me and how she was helping the Jewish people in World War II and the tragedy that was there. And, and then you look at the lives of the 12 apostles and what they dealt with. How did these people deal with such persecution and suffering? How do we deal with that in our lives? It's a hard, hard time. So as, you know, we think about persecution and suffering, I think what makes it maybe even more confusing is when we've said, Jesus, I'm yours, and I give my life to you, and then you suffer, and then you have persecution. That's hard and frustrating. But then we look at this story right before our verse in chapter 7, the story of the deacon Stephen, and what he did right as he was dying and he was being stoned and he, he forgave his oppressors. And so I have to ask that, like, how did he do that? And that's really our question today is what do we rely on during our persecution and suffering? So you guys would, would you stand with me? And we're going to read from, from God's word. We're going to read in Acts 8, <clears throat> 1 through 8. This is God's holy word. And Saul approved of his execution. (laughs) And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But, But Saul was ravishing the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs of what he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. You guys can be seated. What a story. If you think about what was going on in Samaria, I mean, that must have been an amazing sight. 
As we get into our passage today, I just want to talk a little bit about some context to make sure we're on the same page. We're in the book of Acts. We started weeks ago in Acts 1, and we saw the Holy Spirit come upon the church, come upon the the apostles. And and we celebrate that day now called Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. And so that's chapter 1. In chapter 2 through 5, we see stunning growth in the church. Peter is preaching Jesus. He's preaching the resurrection. 3,000 people come to know the Lord. And then... They, uh, Peter and John, they see a beggar and they heal him. And Peter takes the opportunity and preaches some more. And more people are converted. And now the, the religious leaders of the day, they're getting upset. They don't like what's going on. They don't like this message of Jesus resurrected and God's king, kingdom coming upon us now and, and not yet. And so verse 6, that leads us to there because in verse two through or 3 through 5, there's a lot of persecution. They're thrown in jail several times and they're miraculously released from jail, but the church is growing. And it grows so much that in church in chapter 6, the, the apostles say, wait a minute, we're, we're too big. We, we can't really practically serve the, the needs of the people. So they pause, and they appoint, they, they install seven deacons. And one of those deacons is Stephen. And Stephen's gifted at speaking. And he's, he's teaching Jesus as well. And that makes the Sanhedrin and the, and the religious leaders upset that day. And, and so let's, let me show you a picture of the Sanhedrin. This is at the end of chapter 6. They take them and they put them before the council. And John, Pastor John did a great job of unpacking chapter 7 last week and, and what um, Stephen says. But Stephen would have been the guy in the middle there, the accused with all these people. And Pastor John said they were grinding their teeth at him. They were so angry, wanting to take him. And so this is like an unbelievable scene. And somehow or another, Stephen's got the confidence in Christ to, to reveal through the Old Testament where the Savior's coming and how he's come. And now he's been raised from the dead. And he's ushering in his kingdom. And this is more than the leadership can take. It, it says uh, in chapter 6, it says, they said he spoke, Stephen, words against this holy place and the law. See, their system was, we obey the law. And when we don't obey the law, we sacrifice something. And that gets us clean, so we're saved. We have salvation through this works. And Steve was saying, no, 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 it's about Jesus. And so then it pushes us to chapter 7, verse 60, after he's been pulled out of the Sanhedrin council and they've stoned him outside. And they said, while they were stoning him, in 59, this is chapter 7, 59, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who does that? I mean, that's amazing that he would forgive them in that moment. So we've, we've already seen and we're continuing to see throughout the book's Acts that Christians will be persecuted. That starts right away in in verse 1 in our passage today. We see the church is having to deal with this great persecution. (laughs) And the new believers, they were starting to scatter and hide. But, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit more later. But what's interesting is they didn't really hide. They were actually planting seeds. They were preaching Jesus where they were scattered to. That's an amazing testimony. And that causes the church to continue to grow. And then I thought it was kind of curious as well, and in verse 1 towards the end of it, that they say the apostles, they didn't scatter. 
And I, I looked into several commentaries on that, and I'm just not 100% clear, but I, I think it's safe to say they didn't scatter because they felt called to be on mission for God's kingdom right where they were, right in Jerusalem. And then we look at verse 2, and we see great lamentations were made over the death of Stephen. And you know, I know we, we do this today to some degree, and, but I wonder if, if we really lament loss enough in the church. You know, we, we're supposed to celebrate somebody's life when, when they're a believer and they, they die and they go to heaven and that's a beautiful moment. No longer suffering, no longer persecuted, no longer dealing with the effects of death. They're with Jesus they have immense joy and purpose in that moment in heaven, and that's something beautiful to be celebrated. And I think we probably, as a church, mourn the immediate family's loss well. But do we lament the loss to the church? Do we lament and really pay attention to that story of someone, a believer, dying in another country? That now there's one less person on this planet doing God's work. Do we, do we lament that? You know, we see in, in verse 3 that Saul, he'll be later be called Paul. He's the one that's leading the way on these attacks of the church. And, you know, this is such a great book. It's history that we're reading. And Paul makes this really clear, like he wants this to be known. I'm the guy that was persecuting the church. He says it a bunch of other times in the New Testament. I pulled out three other scriptures. There's others. 15.9, 1 Corinthians 15.9 says, For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Galatians 1, again, history. Paul's saying, hey, I did it. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And then 1 Timothy 1, formerly I was a blasphemer, a, a, a persecutor. So just like the Sadducees, Paul at the time, Saul doesn't want to see the church grow. <clears throat> you know, he, they, the, in verse 3, there's this word ravage. Um, your translations might say ravaging. It might say ravaged. But this is a Greek word with the imperfect tense, which means he ravaged the church, and he was continuing to ravage it. It was a big deal. It was a lot bigger deal than the kind of persecution that we deal with here in the U.S. I mean, it's kind of hard to say, but the reality is the persecution we're dealing with in the U.S. most of the time, it's because people don't accept our opinions. They don't want to hear from us anymore. We don't have as much influence as, as we used to have. <clears throat> we rarely hear these stories of the martyr death, like you heard it from Nigeria and from Fawanu last week. That's a whole different type of persecution. That's more like what the persecution was from the early church. And it's interesting to see here that Saul is persecuting the church now in chapter 8. And just a couple chapters later, we're going to see him be named Paul. And he's going to say that he loves Jesus, and then he's going to be persecuted. Paul had a rough life. You know, he wrote four of the, the books of the Bible while in prison. He was beaten shipwrecked, all sorts of different sufferings, and he was eventually put to death for his beliefs. So as much as this kind of abuse is, is terrible, we got to remember what Garrison Young told us a couple of weeks ago. Garrison said, you know what, this persecution, the suffering that we have to deal with, let's make sure we're dealing with that for the right message, for the right thing that we say. 
And that message is, is the gospel. If we're going to say a message that's going to upset people, let's make sure it's that Jesus loves us. He loves us so much. And he died. He died on the cross for us. And you know what? He was raised. He was raised from the dead. And because of that, he's taken away our sin. And we're good with, with God the Father. We're in right standing. We're forgiven. That's the message. And that's okay. We'll say that and let's, let's be okay with, with being persecuted. That was the message that caused the problem for the early church. It wasn't about necessarily the political views or, or details in theology that got, so often gets people upset. Because of that message, it's widely known that 11 of the 12 apostles died martyred. Many of them are really really ugly death. Only the apostle John lives and dies of, of old age. So when I think about my kids growing up and, uh, you know, they would go into the school system and they would tell people that they love Jesus and they get made fun of. And that's, ugh, the dad, that makes you angry. It's a little bit sad, right? But, but one of my kids said, uh, well, you know what? There's worse things they could call me. Yeah, and that's so true. That's such a great truth in our life. You know, when we, we look at our problems, we look at our bag of problems we're looking at, and it's like, oh, I don't like these problems. And then I, I look over at your problems, and I'm like, yeah, never mind, I'll take these. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. Persecution and suffering is hard, but it can help us. You know, I think so often we have a, a wrong view of weakness, we have a wrong view of suffering. You know, the Bible teaches us that, that being meek is okay. Suffering is to be expected. And, and the reality is we kind of want power too. We, we maybe don't want to be like the Sanhedrin, but maybe a little. Like I want to be in control. And then if I'm in control and I got comfort, well, I don't have to worry about suffering. And that's probably the wrong thinking. So persecution and suffering helps us focus it helps us focus on being dependent upon Christ. It shows our need for a Savior. Persecution and suffering reminds us that the earth is not our home. Suffering helps us lean on other Christians to help during our time of need. And persecution and suffering gives us a testimony, one that, that can be used to help others know the love of Christ. And we gotta, we got to realize that in, here in the United States, persecution may happen more. It may grow here. It may get worse here. That early church, man, they got a taste for Jesus. They saw him. They, they heard him. He, he invited them into his mission. And that was so compelling to them, to those people that were around them, that they were willing to die for it. That's my hope for us. That we would so understand the beauty of the gospel, that we would so understand what his work on the cross means to us that we would be all in, like the apostles were, that we would be willing to die for it. You know, the way we deal with persecution and, and problems, it's really, really important to our testimony, to how we display being an ambassador for Christ. Our, our testimony in suffering I think is a lot more impactful, a lot more powerful than our testimony during our successes. We got to remember this, this beautiful passage in Romans 8 as we deal with this. 
Romans 8.28, and then through 39, it says, Romans 8.29, it says, and, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to His purpose. And then verse 35 to 39, says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the things present, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ah, what a great promise. What a great verse. This whole, whole Romans 8 chapter is a wonderful piece of Scripture that we can lean on. And this takes us to our second point today, that, that during persecution and suffering, Christians rely on God's power to carry out His plan. You know, we look at, at verse 4 again, it reminds us that the, the early church was scattered we know that that probably was a really hard time to live. You know, they, they probably struggled to remember that it was God's plan to scatter them so that they could plant seeds to the end of the earth. And this is important. I mean, it really kind of takes me back to, to Jeremiah 29 in the Old Testament years earlier where Jeremiah is um, the, the, the Babylonians have come in, the 600 BC, they've come in and conquered Israel and they've taken them into exile. And Jeremiah's writing a letter from God and he's, he's encouraging his people and he says to go flourish where you're planted in these cities of exile. Verse seven says, God tells them to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile. He's saying to be on mission be on mission for God's kingdom wherever, wherever God's got you. You know, we're called to the Great Commission. That's Matthew 28. Really, all of us in this church ought to be a little familiar with Matthew 28 at the end of it. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, in this, in this verse in Matthew, I don't know about you guys, I think maybe we tend to get focused on our job. I know I do. I look at that and I go, all right, my job's go make disciples of all the nations. I can get kind of fired up about that. But there's a really important piece that's missing in that. The end of that, it says, I am with you always. Always. I, I so often try to do this on my own strength. I'm terrible at this. I, t this week was a very busy work week for me, and I got into work mode. And I often forgot to let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit lead me. There's no peace in that. Yeah, ask my wife. I wasn't a grouchy old bear, I don't think. But I wasn't full of peace. Why do we live that way? You know, before we, we talk about how we rely on God's power so we can carry out His plan, let's, let's make a, a, just to take a little time out to better understand what is God's plan. 
So while Paul, he's ravaging the church, ravaging the church in verse 5, Philip decides to go down to Samaria and preach. He preaches the good news of the gospel and his life testified to it. That's God's plan for us. We're to be on mission for God wherever he plants us. We, we, We go where he calls us to go. And you know, a little side note on Philip here is this isn't Philip the apostle. This is actually, this guy's called Philip the evangelist. He was a deacon. He was one of the seven deacons that had been installed. And, and what's kind of amazing is that Philip went to Samaria at all because the Jewish people had no respect for the Samaritans. None. Because the, the Samaritans in 700 BCs, they were conquered. The northern kingdom of Israel were conquered by the Assyrians. They took a lot of them with them. They left some still in Samaria. And those Samarian Jews, well, they intermarried. They lost their practices. They quit being following the ways of, of the Jewish religion. And so the southern kingdom in Judah, who had never been conquered, they have no respect for the Samarians. I bet you there's some people in our lives, I know there's for me, that maybe I don't respect that much. Maybe I don't really like that much. But Philip is a, is a great example here of how we're called to love them too. God's plan is for, for Jesus' death on the cross to restore all things to him. All things. He takes away sin. That's how he's restoring all things to him. And he's asking us, he wants us to join in with him to advance his kingdom. Just like Philip did in verses five to six. You know, we're all called to be on mission to restore his kingdom, no matter where he scatters us and plants us. So what's that mean? I think it means that that the gospel is more than just Jesus died for me. It's more than we we wait for heaven to come. No, this this means that we experience a taste of heaven right now. And we share that taste with those people that he's put around us to advance God's kingdom. And this ought to give us great purpose. This ought to expand the scope of our lives this ought to impact us every day in some amazing way. You know, Rhonda um, just happened to send me her daily uh, devotional calendar this week. Um, I don't, don't see that very often. And uh, there's a great quote in it, though. It says, Lord, you are my deliverer, and I trust your timing and my deliverance from the hand of the enemy in my life. Liberate me from all persecution and harassment. Preserve me for the work you have for me to do. I love that. I'd change it around a little bit maybe because I'm not sure that we have to be liberated to do his work. Our passage is saying we can suffer and be persecuted and still do his work. But what's important here is as we're praying to be delivered from persecution, we're praying that so that we can do his work. You know, this ought to change the way we look at our lives. This ought to change the way we look at our work, our vocations that God's called us to. We know earth's not our home. We know heaven is. But it's hard to remember that he scattered us and he's planted us where he wants us to be, to be on mission, whether that's in another country or another region like Philip or whether that's at our home or in our school where we're teaching and, and taking class or whether that's in our business, in our office. See, it's through work that God's given us our greatest ability to carry out his plan. 
You know, it's all these different places that God has, has put us in for work that we can love our neighbor. Loving our neighbor is the most important reason we work. It's not the other benefits that we get from work. You know, that's God's plan for us. It was God's plan for, for Philip to go to Samaria and tell others about him, and it's God's plan for us to go wherever he's called us to demonstrate and tell others about who he is. You know, it's, it's, I think it's hard to remember this. We get lost in what we're to do, you know. I, I think it's hard to remember we're supposed to love our neighbor. I mean, maybe it's a little easier when you're at your home and you're like, I got to love these kids. Like, I know that's my job or my, my husband or my wife. I mean, I know I'm called to do that, right? I mean, they may be the hardest people to love in the moment. But I think it's kind of hard to remember that this is the thing that we're supposed to do when we're working for a business. Because it's not written in our job description. I doubt it, maybe. I doubt there's anybody in this room that has a job description that's working for a for-profit business that says, hey, your job's to go love your neighbor. You know, but why is this so important? Because this is an amazing testimony. When you're in a business world and, and somebody recognizes you've prioritizing loving your neighbor, that stands out. That is an amazing testimony. God's plan is for us to use our entire life to glorify him. And we do that by sharing who God is for those he's placed around us. And we got to remember that, that Jesus, he is the author and the writer of our story, of our life story. He's writing this next chapter for you right now. What's that chapter going to look like? Who's he, who's he putting in your life right now that's right beside you? So that you can tell that person the amazing story of how Jesus has healed you, how his love has changed you, how you can point them to how amazing Christ is in your life. <laughs> My wife is, is awesome. We have a great relationship and we get along really well. I have a lot of fun time together and she's not a complainer. If you guys know her, she's not a complainer. She's been through a lot. Um, but every once in a while, she comes in with a, a little complaint about work, and then she's like, I don't even know why I'm there. And, you know, being the loving husband, I, I want really badly to laugh at her. But I don't. I don't usually, I don't think. And, uh, but part of the reason why I want to laugh at her is because this year, she had an opportunity to share Jesus with a coworker, and that coworker accepted Christ. amazing event in both their lives. She had great purpose then, but yet still occasionally she's dissatisfied, complains a little, wonders why she's there. It happens to all of us. It is so hard to be steadfast about God's plan versus our own plan. So we know God's plan is for us to advance his kingdom wherever he scattered and planted us. So now let's look at God's power and how that can help us, how his power helps us carry out his plan. So from verse four, we see again, Philip, he relied on the power of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out God's plan of growing his church and reaching all the nations. 
We look at at verse 4 in chapter 8. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So specifically in verse 4 and 5, we can see that they were scattered preaching the word. God's word is powerful. God's word is, is all we really need to know to inform us of who God is, who Jesus is. And we've seen through the book of Acts when they're teaching and preaching God's word, thousands of people are coming to know Jesus. So here's two great verses about God's word from from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is breathed out of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So relying on God's Word is profitable for us. It's all we need to be informed of who God is. It it helps us to understand what holiness looks like and how we can become more like Jesus. It helps us to understand how to live a life of purpose and of peace. And then verse 6 to 8, we see that God's power is displayed through his Holy Spirit. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and, and saw the signs he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So while Philip, he's, he's preaching God's word, The Holy Spirit is doing amazing, miraculous things and providing the city with joy. The Holy Spirit we've seen can work miracles to demonstrate the glory of God. We've seen that throughout Acts, that that in this book and really through many places in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is aiding the apostles to reach the ends of the earth with his message. It's through the Holy Spirit that we receive and enjoy fruit. Fruit. We see that in verse 8, that there was joy in the city. We see what the fruits of the Spirit are in Galatians 5. You know, these are tangible benefits that we should expect as we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to lead our lives. Who, who doesn't want the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit also gives us the ability to deal with life's suffering. The Holy Spirit gives us that ability to to deal with the problems that are in our bag and to not be so envious of what's in other people's bag. And finally, the Holy Spirit gives us the words to use and the courage to, to help people know Him more. You know, I'm sure the miracles that were going on from the Holy Spirit made a big impact on the people in Samaria. I'm sure that's true, but our passage says, and they heard him. The passage says they heard him. Philip gave them words of life that were from the Holy Spirit. You know, who wouldn't want joy? You know, as we wrap up and we think about joy, and obviously there was not joy in that city in Samaria, and then there was joy. Maybe there's some people here that just don't know the joy of Jesus. 
This is real joy, and I'd encourage you to ask, seek, pray, to understand and know the joy that Jesus can bring, that he brought in this story in in verse 8 to the city of Samaria. You know, if we're believers here, I'd encourage us to reflect on that first time we heard Jesus. We heard who he was, and then we put our trust in him. Just like verse 8, and we sense that joy, the joy that comes from the mercy and the grace that we finally understand that comes from Jesus. Let's be sure to to know our story, this story that God is writing on our behalf. Let's know it and let's be willing to share it, how Jesus has healed us so that we can rely on the power of God's word and of God's Holy Spirit to carry out his plan, even during persecution and suffering. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We trust you, Lord, that that you are God, that you are our blessed assurance, that you're our hope, and that, Lord, we ask you to do a work in our life to, to help us understand this passage and to understand where do we really put our hope in and, and do we really sense the power that comes from your word and the spirit, Lord? Help us with all these things. And Father, as, as we come to this meal together, this communion meal, to celebrate it with one another. Lord, help us to look around and know that we're all broken. There were broken people doing this together. Not one is better than the other. We're all in desperate need of your help. Our sin, our selfishness is in us, and yet you've taken it away from us, Lord. And we, we ask you to help us understand our new self and get rid of the old self, to put complete dependence upon you as we come together and enjoy this meal, renew our hearts in you, Lord. It's in your wonderful son's name we pray. Amen. You know, on the, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, uh, he was eating with the apostles and uh, he was enjoying the Passover meal. And, and, and that night he, he took the bread, they had bread and he gave thanks for it and he broke it like this and he, he said, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of thy communion. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it and enjoy. And this is a, a beautiful moment in time that we get to come together as a church family, recognize our need for him, and really be able to sit still and say, Lord, search my heart, reveal my sin to me, and let me turn that over to you. Because right now we should be thankful and celebrating Jesus' work on the cross and his death for us and what that exchange of taking away our sin and giving us his righteousness really means to us. And it's a spiritual moment. This is a moment where the Holy Spirit is here and wants to renew us to him. And that's my hope for us this morning as we come together as a family and take this meal. You know, maybe there's some people I hear that are skeptical 
on the claims of, of Christ. They don't have, you don't, you don't, you're not quite there yet. And that's okay, this is a great place to be. I just ask you to, to be willing to, to pass this meal over. This, this meal is really for the covenant family, for those who have professed their faith in the Lord. And maybe take this time to pray that, that God would reveal himself to you. So today we're going we're gonna to do this at elders at stations. We're going to come up in groups of six to eight or so kind of family style and the elders are going to give you a word to enjoy and then we're going to take this in, in small groups. But before you come up, I'd ask you to take a moment of silence and let them do a work on you. Let them reveal to you your heart and what you need to give over to him to be closer to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this moment in time as we come together to celebrate you. Let us enjoy and be renewed in this moment. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.